Maintenance? What you call maintenance? I'll fix it. I'm gonna fix it. Concentrate it. Maintain it. Maintain control. Maintenance complete. This is The Maintainers, a Blue Cap community podcast. My name is David Lee, Director at Traction, and you're host for The Maintainers Show. And I'm Jake Hall, the Manufacturing Millennial. We're joined with a super special guest today, uh, one that I can call my friend in the industry for several years now. We have John Weiler, who is the sales manager for Boston Dynamics. Um, he's no stranger to robots. I met him at his previous job when he was at Path Robotics, uh, working with just really leading edge technology, and he joined the Boston Dynamics team uh, over with a lot of family that I know starting in May. He sure knows a lot about what is happening in automation technology. He's working alongside the Spot Robot every single day that you've seen on pretty much every viral video that's out there on Super Bowl commercials, Katy Perry music videos, and uh, he's working with the Agile Mobile Robot, and I think once in a while even touching Stretch. So, uh, John, welcome to the show. And before we do that, a quick word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Traction. Traction offers streamlined hardware and software solutions designed to make maintenance more reliable and profitable. Their AI-powered condition monitoring and asset management solution predicts machine failures and unplanned downtime, allowing clients to save an average of $10 million every trimester. It's artificial intelligence quarterbacking your maintenance. Well, John, thanks for joining us. Uh, to kick things off, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. How are you doing? I, you know, no complaints on my end. I, I'm doing pretty good, David. Doing well as well. <laughs> awesome. Now, it is officially entering the fall season now, so a change in activity is occurring along with the leaves. So, John, what are you doing in the fall time that's just keeping you excited and keeping you busy? Well, fall in Ohio is one of the best seasons. Uh, you know, there's, there's plenty to do here, but you know, a typical weekend for me is I've got two little ones and, uh, we will go to a pumpkin patch or we'll go and, uh, visit a park while the leaves are changing. Always good to catch an Ohio state game or a Cleveland Browns game. Awesome. It's great to have a lot of excitement along with misery being an Ohio state <laughs> fan. So, you know, uh, besides that, you know, it, I, I guess go more in depth, you know, Tell us more about your background. How did you get started in this industry? Yeah, I didn't always realize this when I first joined the industry. I have always been an early adopter of technology. I've always been fascinated with how technology can make an impact around the world. And the reason why I say I didn't always realize this because early on, I was kind of a little fearful of like math and science, which are fundamental in the world of, of manufacturing and engineering. But my my grandfather was in NASA his whole life. So I guess seeing, seeing spaceships, going to Cape Canaveral as a kid, it's now kind of paying off as, as I've been in this industry. But um, the world of robotics and automation fascinate me. You know, I've been with industrial welding. I've got to see six axis traditional robot arms. I've got to walk, you know, 50 plus manufacturing floors around the world now. And I've got to see all different types of automation. And I'm consistently blown away with the level of complexity and, um, level of improvement that I get to see day in and day out. Yeah. No, that's awesome. <laughs> so getting into robotics like this, I'm curious to hear 
how would one go from not being a subject matter expert, for example, from the street, and let's say there was some kid listening to this and they want to play with robots for the rest of their life, uh, the, the way that you essentially do, what would you say would be the a path to do that? And what does that look like generally? Yeah, I would say I didn't take a traditional path. Uh, studied economics in college, um, started a business actually right out of college and went into a few different areas in life. And it, when I was at a product development firm is really where I got to see small run manufacturing. Um, and I got to walk kind of small businesses through short run manufacturing. That was the first time I got to see that up close. And since then, I've had the bug. Once you walk a few factory floors, I don't know if you're, you'll ever leave that industry. But I would say to kids, you know, follow your passion and don't let fear, like for me in particular, right, getting overcoming this fear of math or science and not being the best at it right away, uh, probably would have gotten into this industry several years sooner until I, I really overcame some of those fears in my 30s. So I would always encourage kids, get out of the classroom and get into the real world. And, and what I mean by that is if you know family or friends or anyone that can get you inside of manufacturing at a young age, I would highly encourage that. So you get to see the things that you don't often get to see. You get to see these complex systems. You get to see robots. You get to see it all come together. Awesome. Yeah. Well, so now that we know a little bit about you, John, Let's get into our first segment. It's called the Maintainers Mashup. And this is where we do a deep dive into things like equipment, management teams, and ways to make maintenance specifically more reliable. Maintenance required. Listen, I maintain. I maintain myself. Maintain course. Maintain speed. I gotta maintain respect. So can we hear more about your role, Boston Dynamics, and when you're walking these floors day to day, what type of things are you looking for? What type of ways are we adding value and progressing to the future uh, when it comes to factories and technology? Yeah, absolutely. So I get to walk some of the largest manufacturers around the world, um, and I get to see their operations firsthand, and I get to meet with their teams. And these conversations will start all over the place, from top floor to shop floor, we like to say. And we'll walk through a facility and people will talk about these same kind of key themes around, hey, we're facing these workforce challenges. There's a global demand requirement and throughput requirements that operations keeps coming to us about. And we need to be able to, to grow. How do we grow? Because we've got this aging workforce or we've got less people entering in or we've got people, young people, not necessarily wanting to get into factories. All these variables coming together combined with the fact of American manufacturing and some of these catalyst moments that took place over the last five years. And so we used to ship a lot off uh, overseas. Now we've realized that we need to be making more things here. So the tipping point of all this stuff coming together, when I, when I get on a site, these factories are in need of help. And so what we do at Boston Dynamics is we'll walk around and we'll say, you know, what are the things that you care about? Um, typically, these are, uh, these are going to fall into certain buckets around their digital transformation strategy of, hey, you know, we, we don't have interconnected systems or we have legacy systems and we have equipment that might be anywhere from 70 to 30 to 10 years old. Um, we've got some fixed sensors here, but we don't have we don't know where the data is going. And then we also have the time old uh, thing of we're, we're sending humans around with clipboards and they're collecting data on paper. And then that goes in a filing cabinet and no one really knows where it goes from there. So you have all these different things going on. And so what, what we do is we walk around and we just kind of take a step back and we say, you know, if we can be impactful here, because at the end of the day, the technology, while it is fascinating, it's, it's this robotic dog, it is a tool. It's a tool in your tool belt. 
And that's really the best way to implement it into a, into a strategic initiative at a plant. So the perception of spot by a lot of people is it's this dancing robot, you know, it's the robot that's fun. It's interesting. It gets a lot of likes on TikTok and on Facebook and it gets shared all over the place. But at the same time, we know in the industry, you know, it's a lot more. Uh, it's, it's applications where it's, Hey, it's being used at SpaceX to, you know, do safety and inspection after launches. It's being used by companies to help you give better security of being able to look at a lot of area in a, a short amount of time and to do that autonomously. It's being used inside factories for, you know, a mobile IOT device, right? You know, it's, it's a yep. platform with a bunch of sensors and technology that it can go anywhere. What would you say is really making spot a a key player now in the industry why is spot becoming so much more relevant now than what it was like five years ago yeah so it's a great question in your statements right in the sense that you know that the marketing team's done a phenomenal job creating this global brand um and you have these viral videos that i like to say they, they show the athleticism of the robot right so a dancing robot, if you set the dancing aside, what really, what you, what you can pull away and what I try and take uh, industrial uh, customers of mine back to is that you can navigate all these different types of terrains and, and anywhere that a human can go, this robot can go and it can do it reliably and it can do it at a robust enterprise level. Um, so once you're able to navigate a lot of areas where humans can, now you can start to check that box and now you can say one step further of, okay, so I can get to these areas. What do I want to do in these areas and why do I want to do it? The difference that we're seeing now is that when you walk into a factory with a walking robot, everyone pulls out their phone. There's this moment of like joy. And so once you get past that though, the question comes up like, okay, what do we do with this? Why I think it's starting to pick up a lot of momentum now is for all the reasons of like what's going on in, in global manufacturing and US manufacturing in particular is you get back to some of those core problems that are impacting everyone, regardless of the industry that you're in. So you have that the, the shortage of workers, you have throughput demands, you have financial constraints, you have efficiencies, you have um, energy things that are going on. People want the world to be more energy efficient. So how do we get all of these things together? How do we tie them together? The, the robot is starting to get to a point now where it's robust and reliable enough. And people have gotten to the point where when we launched it, it was more of this platform. And we didn't really, as a company, as Boston Dynamics, we didn't set out and say, here's exactly what Spot does. We instead let the market for about three years come back to us with feedback. The most widely adopted thing that our customer base kept coming back to us with is this is a mobile inspection and data collection platform. And so that is now what we started to build feature sets around. And over the last year, we've now got what we believe is is a full feature set that that can live up to the expectations of our industrial partners around the world. Can it do things like read gauges? Yes. Can it perform visual inspections? Yes. Um, can it do thermal inspections on, on a variety of assets? Yes. Can we do acoustic inspections to look for air leaks, gas leaks? Yes, we can. When we start to be able to put that all in a package and all of that data can connect to what other, whatever system of record you need and can do things like generate work orders and set priority, that's when you start to really connect dots in a way that is uh, impactful and systemic. It's not just across one plant. Now it's like, okay, we can pilot it at one facility, but I know that if we check these boxes at this mill, we can go to five, 10, 20 other mills around the world because they all have the same fundamental problems. Right. Awesome. Yeah. So 
our listeners are highly comprised of maintenance professionals, right? So I want to come back to that point that you were making about the different types of inspections. And if I'm not mistaken, there are four specific inspections that you'll typically do specifically for maintenance professionals. Uh, let's talk yep. a little bit more about that. Can you give us some examples of maybe some floors that you've walked uh, and just cool projects that you've been a part of? Yeah, absolutely. So there, there's a lot of cool projects. You know, I'll, I'll reference one that I was at just, just the other week uh, as a mill here in the U.S. One of the things that I find really fascinating is that within each vertical that you go, there's a story behind maybe why the equipment is a certain age or why they've maintained things the way that they've maintained them. So you start to pick up these little nuggets along the way. But this is this is in the paper industry. And the way that you process paper, If for anyone out there who hasn't walked the paper mill, I would encourage you to because you have a, a big amount of respect the next time you go to write on a piece of paper. Um, but with these mills, and this one in particular, you have equipment that is 50 plus years old that has gone through multiple generations of ownership, multiple generations of maintenance practices and standards. And so now you have all this legacy equipment from different vendors, all kind of working together to produce a product. Meanwhile, you have throughput goals that continue to grow each year. You have the staffing shortages that we've talked about. And so from a maintenance perspective and from what the robot can do from a hardware perspective, you put these sensors on top of spot, you walk spot around the facility, um, and we literally follow these uh, maintenance managers around their plants. They know the things that they're doing these PM rounds for. They know that they aren't collecting the data in a frequent enough fashion to be able to actually inform and be proactive in their decision making. So most often we'll get on site and people will say, you know, we're constantly putting out fires. With the maintenance team and the staff that we have on site, we do our PM rounds and we catch things, but we're catching up on our backlog. And Every factory we walk in, this one included, they've got air leaks all over. And as we're walking through, you know, they had things even tagged and we would stop them and say, well, this is tagged. Why hasn't it been fixed? They just don't have the time. They don't have, they don't have the time is one element. They're, they're constantly putting out those fires and triaging. But another element is that, you know, they might know they have an air leak or they might know that they have a motor that's running hot, but they don't have the accountability because they don't have this digital record of everything and, and, so they write this stuff down on paper, it goes in the filing cabinet, and then it's, it's back of mind. So it's like the old saying, out of sight, out of mind. The, the thing that the technology does is when it collects this data, it puts it in front of you and it creates a digital stamp, a timestamp, and it, it can connect that to your system of record and you can label this data with an asset ID and you can essentially now tell the story behind the equipment. You can click into a motor and you can see all the data that's collected on it. You can see when it was last, when a PM was last uh, done on it. And so you can't really leave moving forward and being like, you know, I, oh, I forgot about that. It creates this culture of accountability that I think, you know, when I talk to maintenance teams on site, they constantly are reminded of this industry 4.0 that we've been hearing about now for like five plus years. And one of the biggest hurdles that they tell us is we just don't have the, the bandwidth to collect enough data to get to that state of, of making proactive informed data-driven decisions. And so there's this constant bottleneck of collecting enough data to be able to actually get that strategy implemented. Awesome. Awesome. So specifically with, with, uh, with the way that you all are doing things and talking about maintenance specifically, maintenance professionals and, and their days in and day outs, 
is there a large focus on even the safety aspect of things? So there's obviously going to be places that a, a maintenance worker is not going to want to go and put himself in harm's way. Is there instances like that that you find common that that's another value set as well, making sure that we're getting home safely every every evening and minimizing that risk? Absolutely. Yeah, it's absolutely. And then, and then you know, in full transparency, it's one of the things that is sometimes it's it's sometimes trickier to navigate just from how do we quantify the business impact from safety every factory i talk to when you move up the strategic leader so when you move into the people that are creating the vision for a strategic goals initiative for a company at a, at a global level that one of the biggest things that they talk to us about is safety we we need to improve the safety of all of our facilities so things like how do we get our humans away from uh moving equipment how do we get them out of areas where products on a conveyor and it's going at a high speed, but they need to check something on it. Um, how do we how do we have a robot in a situation like that? Or maybe the environment is very harsh, really high temperatures um, is something that we often see. No one wants to check above a furnace or below a furnace for hotspots, but it is something that you need to do. Anytime we have tasks that can remove people from unsafe situations and they're repeatable and scalable, that's, that's like a home run formula for a robot. You're going to improve the longevity and increase the happiness of the employees when when you create a safer environment for them to operate in. And then the nice thing about some of this equipment is it's oftentimes that critical infrastructure that I've seen that's supporting a plant above ground might be at the basement level. The basements of some of these facilities are dark. They're they're grimy. They're dirty. And they're inherently dangerous because of those reasons. And so more often than not, people don't want to be going into a dark, dirty basement to check critical infrastructure that might be supporting lines above them. Same goes for high up areas. There'll be industrial grading. This is a reason why spots done really well is because it's a robot that can go up and down stairs just like we do. So I'll often hear people say, you know, 10, 20 flights of stairs to get to an area where they need to do checks. And because of that, because of those flights of stairs in the heat of the summer, maybe the, maybe the tech gets up there and says, hey, it's good for today. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do a thorough check. Um, and, nice. and this is an example where that human level of variability over time has a compounding effect. Yeah. Right. Wonderful words there, John. So after doing, you know, a whole lot of predictive maintenance projects and speaking with maintenance managers specifically, what, what I've been told and a lot of feedback that I get is the things that are hard to do are more dangerous. What they find is People have the full intent on doing it, but you know, our subconscious kicks in, right? And it's like, I really want to get out of this spot as fast as possible. I'm around all this hype, this high pressure on the line when it comes to the piping or whatever the case may be. And it effectively is just not a safe environment. And what happens is we scale back the amount of work we do there and it's just natural, right? And so I see this as a way to address those type things where it's a place that we just simply don't want to be. Um, so. Yeah, thank you for explaining that. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, I've had plenty of days where if I'm out operating in a factory and it's 90 plus degrees and I'm walking by a furnace, I'm thinking to myself, even when I'm walking spot, I'm like, I can't believe that people are operating in this environment as frequently as they are. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, I want to get out of here. No, I, yeah. I like that. So, you know, I want to move to the next segment called What's in Your Toolkit? And we've learned about Boss Dynamics and how Boss Dynamics is operating with spot. But I want to talk more about, you know, John and how John has been excelling over the years and the knowledge that you've learned. 
We're gonna fix it. Get the tool. Pick the one right tool. The right tool for the right job. I'm sure it's been an incredible journey for you, right? You're at Path Robotics and you're helping manufacturers solve the labor shortage when it comes to, you know, the lack of welders in the manufacturing space. And you gain, you gain some great knowledge on that. And now you're at Boss Dynamics and you're more focused on like the maintenance and the information side of manufacturing. Now, what have some of your biggest takeaways been from, you know, moving into this new industry? Yeah, there's some commonalities just at a very high level that whether it's a skilled trade or it's a factory worker in almost any capacity, I have yet to go on site regardless of where I am in the plant. If it's fabrication, assembly, production, maintenance, it doesn't matter. They all are telling me a similar story in the sense that they need more people and operations is, is coming to them saying, hey, we need more product. And then finance is coming and saying we need it to be done more efficiently. And so you're at this tipping point, regardless of where you are, whether it's a skilled trade or not. When I go to a factory, it's, I'm trying to learn as much as I can. I'm in like a sponge mode of absorbing as much as I can. And I continue to give myself that beginner mindset. Um, so I, I try and continually frame it as I'm here to learn, I'm here to learn about what's going on in your world. And then over time, I think the more that I've done that, the more I've been able to connect some of these dots and. I'm very excited about the future. No, no matter what, uh, no matter where we are, you know, in our journey here, I leave these factories and I don't ever leave discouraged. I leave very motivated, uh, which is a, a very like, it, it's a rewarding thing to be in this industry with all the obstacles that we have to overcome and all the things that we've, you know, talked about and, you know, other episodes that I've listened to about challenges for all of those things set aside. They, they never outweigh the optimism I have for global manufacturing as a whole. Awesome. And so, you know, we have these challenges like uh, manpower specifically, but to lighten the mood a little bit, I want to ask a question. It sounds like you have a spot yourself in the house. So what is spot doing for you? My imagination immediately goes to the Jetsons. And, you know, I think about the robots vacuuming <laughs> and things like that. And so... A spot there, maybe babysitting the children. Is it a, a spot playing with the, other, the the real dog that you have, keeping them company? What does that look like for you? <laughs> yeah, yes, it, it's a it's a fun it's a fun question. So the first time I'll just share a, a story with. So I live on a, a suburban neighborhood. The first time I walked spot. So when you when you go to Boston Dynamics, this is one of the things that's like built built into the uh, the ethos at at the company is. Don't be afraid to break it. Don't be afraid of it. Um, and so they give the new hires an opportunity to learn hands-on with the robot. So uh, on the uh, sales team here, we'll talk to one of the colleagues. They'll ship me one of their robots. And this is when I first started. And the point here is to get comfortable with the UI, get comfortable with driving it around, get comfortable with the environment, and don't be scared of it. Because if you're scared of it, when you go on site and someone asks me, hey, could, do you think it can make it in this environment? I have to have the confidence and the wherewithal to say, let's go try it. Um, and it, and I can't be nervous to do that because if it, if it needs to do the job that they need it to do, we got to figure that out together. So, you know, come back to, to home life here. I'm walking it down the street. I, my wife, my two kids and our dog were walking and I'm like, Hey, I'm going to take spot for a walk too. I did not know that there was a four-year-old's birthday party down the street and I see them start to line up inside the house. The grandparents, the parents, and the kids all come outside. 
And one of the most rewarding things with being in this, this current job and just working with robots in general, I know Jake can relate to this, you get to bring joy to people. It does not have to be in a factory setting. And so with this, I got to see grandparents come out, maybe a little timid. I got to see moms and dads come out. Dads were like, hand me the controller. I want to play with it. And then the four-year-olds and, and the kids coming out and they wanted to touch it. And so you have a slightly different message for each one of those groups. But the thing that tied them all together was the smiles on their faces. And it was, it was a really cool moment for me. If we tie this back to the factory setting, the one of the factories I was at, this is something about change management and culture with bringing in automation to a factory floor and something that I find amazing. When we bring Spot on site and we go to deploy it at a factory, something we suggest is, hey, have a naming competition. Make the robot your teammate. And it's it sounds trivial, but it makes a huge difference because now they feel like this is our mascot. This is our dog. Um, we're going to name it. And they they allow all these people to get together and name name the robot. Another thing I've seen factories do that I think is is fascinating is take your kid to work day. We talk about ushering in the next generation and getting them into manufacturing as a whole. What better way than to bring them into a factory and let them see some of the latest technology and, and what it's doing? I had a factory worker pull me aside uh, less than a month ago and said that their kids have not stopped talking to them. I can relate to this because my son, who's one and a half, one of his words is bot. Dude's obsessed with spot. But th <laughs> this, this, parent said, this parent said to me, um, I, he, he was thanking us. He was thanking me and the sales engineer and saying like, you know, this, this is really cool because my kids, my daughter and my son are like, they think my job is amazing again because I've been telling them spots coming to my workplace. And it, it just was like, that was one of those moments for me. I was like, it's awesome to see the business value, but to, to be able to be in a, an experience where you've aligned business value with just pure joy and hearing stories like that, couldn't ask for a better situation. Awesome. Well, <laughs> I think so it's time awesome. to go into our next segment, which we call uh, the future of factories. Meet the future. To our futures. What? future the factory my factory everybody's factory i love your factory my factory my walls so you know we're going out there and we're looking at all the new technology and the shift in mindset and how we're doing business and and how we're going to see this collaboration between robotics and and workers you know what are you seeing in a way that is just to make sure that we're not stepping on the toes of the traditions and manufacturing, but we're helping create an embracing change that comes from all the different generations in it. Yeah, it's a very delicate balance. I'll say that as, as an opening overarching statement. Part of why I go in with such open ears and eyes is to try and understand what's going on in the environment. Why are they interested in solutions? What, why, what are they looking for? What have they tried in the past? What worked and what didn't work and why didn't it work? But with, with robots, they're helping. If when you talk to people in the factory floor and even the people that are in the, the headquarters or the global level that maybe might not be in those environments every day, people in the industry, I'll net, I, I have yet to hear them say, I don't need help. It, they might have pushback for feature sets or specific requirements around a robot, or maybe they want it to operate in more harsh conditions or hotter temperatures, or, hey, can it swim? It can't swim. Can it climb uh, a ladder? It can't. Um, you know, things like that I'll get, but I, I very rarely get pushback on needing help. And all I mean by that is like, take Spot, for example, you need a, a tech to go around and with a uh, FLIR IR or any kind of RIR device, take thermal on 
1,500 motors at a plant or 3,000 motors at a plant, you don't have the bandwidth to do that every single day. And then you add in, okay, visual inspection. I needed to read all my gauges. That's, that's more time. So I try and talk to people about, hey, we're just providing you a tool here so you can uh, grow into that future state. So you can start collecting enough data and you can empower your people. And I also will talk to people about, you know, it takes courage to admit to yourself that you need to make a change. And it takes courage from people on the floor to be willing to ask for help. And I think uh, manufacturing, like many industries, it's easy to say, let's keep things the way they are. We know, you know, we know it works this way. Change is difficult regardless of the industry it's in and regardless of, of anything. Just at a personal level, it can be difficult. It's easier for me to keep ordering on DoorDash than it is for me to make a meal. But I know one is better for me. So, you know, with, with robots in the factory of the future, it's not removing people from the equation, it's empowering them. And so we have to, as a industry, we have to embrace some of these changes. And I often say we have to adopt robots because people around the world are adopting robots. And if we want to stay globally relevant, so that's like foundational, let's just stay globally relevant. Well, I don't want to just stay globally relevant. I want to be leading. I want to be, I want to be ahead. So when I see countries like China adopting robots faster than us, it makes me like, I want to go even to more factories than I can go to and, and tell the story again and again and again, because I think it's critical to the future. If we're going to have these factories of the future in the U.S. in particular, which I want, then we need to be leading in it in areas like innovation. I, I love that you touched that, John, because like for me, I always say that robots aren't taking jobs. They're saving and creating jobs. Right yeah. now that we live in a truly global economy with global competition, it's not so much that the robots can be replacing that task or that task or that task. It's the fact that in order for a lot of these small to medium sized manufacturing businesses and businesses that are domestic in order to compete in an international economy, they need to leverage technology that's going to give them the front hand. So yeah. where, you know, going back to, you know, your previous job, for example, right, you know, in order for, for, for companies to stay in business, when you can't find the skilled welders anymore, you have to leverage automation and, and AI and, and, and what you were doing with industrial robots at path. Because if you don't, then those jobs are just, then the business you can't compete with, so it's just going to go overseas. So then everyone, the, the, the remaining 65 employees that were at that company no longer have a job because you couldn't compete and in the same economics. And I think that's the same thing that we're going to see when we're, when we're adapting new technology like AI and robots. It's not that robots are going to be just completely, and AI is going to be completely taking the jobs. It's just we're seeing a shift in how business is, is done. And in order for manufacturing and automation and end using companies to continue to be relevant, they have to adopt change. Yeah, it's enhancing. And I, I think, you know, to build off of that, there, there was a, a study, a recent study done that talked about. Um, the more robots that were adopted at a plant level, there was actually higher levels of employment, more human workers at those at those same plants. So to me, and what the study really showed is, is it, it provided some data to what I've always had an inclination around of the more that we adopt this type of technology, the more we grow. And that's like spot is a tool that allows maintenance teams and predictive maintenance teams to do their jobs better so that they can grow more and expand more and get more product out into the world. 
And, you know, the, the thing I'll touch on with the maintenance teams in particular is they are the crew of people that keeps the lights on, literally all of the uptime, all of the stuff that, that produces products, all the, sometimes they might be more sexy or more exciting areas of the plant, the assembly process or whatnot. But whenever something happens, they're calling that team. So they are like the lifeblood of the plant. Um, and so it, it's different from the world of like the skilled trade where it was like a master welder or master artist. Um, but it's, it's the same in the sense that it's a mission critical function of every plant. You can't grow if your equipment's down. You can't, and you know, and no one wants the unplanned downtime events. So awesome, John. I'm very happy that we were able to address all the different elephants in the room here, essentially, or in this case, different dogs in the room. <laughs> all right. So moving <laughs> on, <laughs> moving on to our next segment. Before we say goodbye to John, our next segment is actually called Fix It Funnies. Fix is in. It's making a really funny noise. I'm going to fix it. Make it funny would be great if you could make it funny. Your fate is fixed. That makes it funny. Make sure it's funny. Previously, we asked about your favorite activity during the fall, but winter is right around the corner. So when it comes to winter, what would be a activity that you would like to do or what is your favorite thing to do with respect to like the winter just in general? Yeah, so I absolutely love um, hiking. If, I, if we can get out to a cabin and like, you know, I've been to uh, Yellowstone and Jackson Hole and it was the most beautiful place I think I've ever seen in, in the winter. And so skiing, snowboarding, those are always fun activities. Um, but honestly, you know, I've got a two-month-old and one of the most rewarding things. So the one-and-a-half-year-old, I think, is going to be running around in the snow. But when you see your kid see snow and react to snow for the first time, uh, it's a pretty amazing thing to see. So for me, that's something that I'm thinking about this this winter. <laughs> awesome. Well, what you need to do, John, is uh, get spot, put reindeer antlers on it, and then pull your kid in the sled. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'd better see a video of that posted on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will do that. Yeah. I mean, spots, spots pretty interesting in the snow. So we've, you know, we've had to, with the customer base that we have and some of the environments that we've been in, you run into things like beer foam, for instance. And the outcome of it is that, you know, there's some areas where we walk through plants as humans with our feet and we're like, the surface area of our foot doesn't make it that slippery. But because the surface area of spot, the dog, is, is smaller, you get into some of these environments where you think it's slippery. So the outcome of this has been now there's some videos that I've seen where spot's able to terrain on ice because we've had to build software updates to accommodate for slippery floors. So the outcome is some of these engineers that with spot walking around on, on ice by their home and, and taking video of it. It's, it's quite <laughs> amazing to see. That's awesome. So if you were in this industry, John, if, if, if you decided to go something other than manufacturing, what would you, what would you be choosing right now? I would say, you know, this is going to sound cliche, but I feel like I'm living out my dream here, working in the industry that I'm in. Uh, I get to take a piece of brilliant technology, a tool around the world and get to go into new environments and help, you know, people do their jobs better. That's what they share back with me. That's one of the most rewarding experiences I think I've, I've ever had the opportunity to do. So I can't, you know, I can't really say that I'd be doing something different, but I absolutely love traveling. I absolutely love seeing new cultures, new parts of the world. I still think I would somehow be involved with robots. I mean, I, they're fascinating. I, I, you know, I played soccer 
my whole life. So my dream growing up at one point was to be a professional soccer player. Okay. It, Jake, you've seen me in person. I'm not yeah. the tallest, tallest guy. Right. So, you know, there, there's, there's some physical limitations there, but if I, if I wasn't in the world of automation and robotics, maybe professional sports. There you go. Well, we know that Ohio doesn't have any, so, uh, we're good with that. <laughs> he went I've got no com. I've got, yeah, I've got, yeah, I've got no comment. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. We will, uh, we'll see what happens here at the end of yeah, this, this, we'll the end of this, this year. Pod, when this yeah. podcast comes out, when, uh, when, uh, what the results are. Yes. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Well, listen, John, it has been absolutely wonderful to have you. This has been The Maintainers, a Blue Cap Community podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you consume your content as we are on most major platforms so you can be in the know immediately when the next episode drops. This podcast is brought to you by Traction. Traction offers streamlined hardware and software solutions designed to make maintenance more reliable and profitable. Their AI-powered condition monitoring and asset management solution predicts machine failures and unplanned downtime, allowing clients to save an average of $10 million every trimester. It's artificial intelligence quarterbacking your maintenance.